Well, it was just a few months ago that we were in a series called uh, This Is Who We Are, This Is What We Do. It's the three W's that are on the wall. Worship Christ, uh, walk with Christ, work for Christ. Worship Christ, it's a doxology thing. A walk with Christ, it's an abiding thing. Work for Christ, it's the overflowing thing out of those. And we were going through that series and uh, a big item for me and, and Frank, I just even kind of think for the church a little bit unexpected in some ways was the impact of the Sunday we were talking about walk with Christ and in the text of Luke 10 and John 15. Luke 10, Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, you are busy about many things but you are missing the necessary thing. Please sit down, Martha, and just abide with me. And then we went to John 15 and we took a look. What does this whole idea of just kind of abiding with John 15 and the text there, it just states that word again and again and again. And, and John 15 gives this imagery of a vine and a branch, kind of a tree trunk and a branch more in the Midwest. And the relationship that goes on with that and the branch doing life with the trunk in that. And we talked through that and all of life grows out of that relationship right there. When a person becomes grafted into the trunk of Christ, into the vertical of Christ, all of everything that's taking place happens. Life happens right there. And everything that happens out at the end of the branch is a result of what's happening right here in this connection and with what is going on in that relationship of it all. The condition of that relationship determines the entirety of the branch. Relationship, it establishes its capacity to handle storms. And it also establishes what kind of fruit is going to be produced out on the end of that branch. The condition of the relationship drives the actions of the branch. In other words, the vertical drives the horizontal out. The condition happening here, loved ones, is telling out here with what's going on. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, it's page 230, I believe. We're big about the Bible around here. And uh, we dive in. We're right in the process of a series through the first 15 chapters of Samuel. It's kind of Samuel and Saul are the main characters. We're still mainly with Samuel here. Um, Saul begins showing himself uh, next week. Uh, we're in the first... Uh, uh, kind of uh, three verses to start out here of 1 Samuel 8. And um, I want to begin here. Uh, these are really important to understand. It sets some horizontal scene of what's going on in these first three verses. So let's set the scene on what's happening in that day and time back in this text. The first four words, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The first four words are, when Samuel became what? Old. Some of us don't like that word. Um, some love that word. I'm finally older. Uh, yeah, I passed that a while ago. <laughs> Samuel is kind of the lead head prophet, uh, priest, and um, a judge or leader, if you will, of Israel. And he's old. Uh, why do we care if he's old? Actually, I don't think it really matters what his age is that much. I'm going to make mention of that here in just a second. But actually, I think what's going on is the text is providing us, I'll call it a time marker. 
a time marker between really chapter seven and chapter eight here. And this is really important to understand because I actually don't think chapter eight makes sense uh, in light of chapter seven. If you're here last Sunday, we're talking about chapter seven. Chapter seven was God's people go face down in repentance before the Lord. And now here in chapter eight, we're gonna see God rejected by his people. And when you just read it right through, it's like, my word, they went from repentance to rejection really fast. And sometimes it's like, I can relate to that. But I want for us to understand there's some time gap here. Just as there was between chapter six and seven, we're told that there's some 20 years there. I, I kind of agree with Warren Wiersbe and a few others who say that we think here that in this time, there's about 20, 25 years of time between chapter seven and chapter eight. Say that again. There's some 20 to 25 years of time. A lot of things happen in 20 years. A lot of things happen. And it's kind of even a whole new order and movement has come through here. But I think that Samuel in this, I said last Sunday, I think Samuel 20 years earlier was probably in his latter 40s, 50s. I think he's now in the 70s. So he's old. Sorry for some of you in your 70s above. <laughs> it's just a fact. And we love it. We love to have the range of ages here. So chapter eight, the events are 20, 25 years after the repentance events. Keep that in mind. When Samuel became old, the next seven words, uh, he made his sons judges over Israel. Again, judges, we just think of this automatic kind of guy in the you know, gavel in his hand and leading in a courtroom. That's not what it is. We'll just say they are the leaders, they're spiritual leaders, they're, they're the governing leaders over what's going on. And, and I think one, uh, this adds to the likelihood of 20, uh, 25 years of time here uh, in light of his sons in, I think it also raises a second question. When did Samuel appoint his sons as judges? Uh, as they have a whole series of these judges, and when did he appoint them? Well, we don't know. We don't know in the text. Uh, but I think it, it's not a month. I don't even think it's likely a year just because of what's taking place in the movement of the text here. I think this is the kind of thing that probably it's been a few years, five years, maybe even 10 years since Samuel appointed his sons. By the way, that's important because we don't know what was going on at that time in those sons' lives some years ago. And uh, we're gonna find out where their lives are at right now. And uh, in fact, let's find out. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel, leaders over sections of Israel under his uh, realm, under his, uh, Samuel's authority. Verse two, the name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second was Abijah. There were, uh, they were judges in Beersheba, a certain area. Don't need to go to the map, it's not important. Uh, verse three, yet his sons did not walk in his ways. That's sad. But turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. It's a sad story. Samuel's sons, Joel and Abijah, they do not walk in uh, the Lord. They didn't, were not doing life with the Lord like uh, their dad did. At least we know at this point in time, we could say they were doing life without the Lord. What's really happening here in the text, and it showed, because we see in here what they're after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. By the way, that eerily reminds us of some chapters earlier in chapter four with Eli and his two sons. Eli was a priest, appointed his sons, and he ended up having two perverted sons. They were seeking greed and sexual perversion. 
with things going on in their priestly role. And here's Samuel's sons, judges over Israel, and they're taking bribes and perverting justice. Two sets of adult kids doing life without the Lord, and it showed. By the way, I just want to make a comment here. Before anyone goes into judging Eli and Samuel quickly as loser dads, be careful. Be very careful. Adult children are responsible for their choices. Okay? By the way, whether they had a great dad, a good dad, or a bad dad or mom, it's still their responsible choices. And, and as I said, I don't, we don't know what Joel and Abijah were like when Samuel appointed them. We just don't know that information. Plus, we don't know Samuel's motives when he appointed them. And, and I'll just say, as, as we are, we'll continue to get to know Samuel even more, it's like, what do we see in Samuel's life that ever shows that Samuel is the kind of a, a man that is like thinking like family dynasty rule? We just don't see anything like that in Samuel's life. But I don't know. But I'm just saying, be very careful with this. Going from some bad kids to a bad dad is not fair. It's just not fair. Dads, pray, point, and walk with your kids to the Lord. But it's their choice. Pray, point, and walk with, but it's their choice. And by the way, if you are not a praying, pointing, and walking with dad, your adult children are still responsible for their choices, as you are. By the way, more on that on Father's Day. Just like we did on Mother's Day going back to Hannah on Father's Day, I'm planning to go back to Eli and Samuel and provide hope for dads. Okay? Samuel's sons, Joel and Abijah, they enter the scene and they did not walk in the Lord like their father, Samuel. Well then, some other dudes walk on the scene. The elders of Israel, verse four. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old. <laughs> and Samuel's probably like, uh, yeah? <laughs> and they're right, he was. And your sons do not walk in your ways. True. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Let's talk about this. I, I think there's kind of four key statements that these elders of Israel are making. The first one we kind of giggled at. Behold, you are old. He was. Uh, I think he's in his 70s at this point in time. And in this conversation, I, I think, man, it's a question of leadership, leadership succession in that. And it's like, hey, Samuel, we need to talk about this thing. Like, you're in your 70s. What's the plan from here? And, and that is a good conversation to bring up. I'm just gonna be straight on the table with you here. I'm 56 years old, gonna be 57 in October, and I'm thinking much about my transitioning out. Some days more than others. <laughs> it's the kind of thing to where I've, I've made mention to our elders about it, I've made mention to our pastoral staff about it. I've kind of even said, hey, I've got 10 years left. Now listen, not 10 years left and then I'm out of doing ministry with people. I pray I do ministry with people till I die. But seriously, I'm not going to be that guy that's just hanging on to his thing. This is no family dynasty. This is no personal dynasty. This is the Lord's thing. And frankly, I love setting things up for other people. I've always been that way my whole life. And I look forward to walking off in the sunset and everybody going, by the way, where's Pastor Doug? We didn't even know he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's okay. <laughs> That's the way it should be. So they're right to bring it up. Samuel, you're old. Second statement. Uh, your sons do not walk in your ways. That's a sad statement. But it's also a proper statement to bring up as leaders. Hey, Samuel, we have a problem. Your sons are functioning here as judges, and uh, they are perverting justice. <laughs> this is not good. I think I commend them for bringing this up. Um, but I'll say, I don't know all the history behind it, and so I don't want to go and make a man, I'm having a hard time with some of these words, conclusion and uh, making understanding of what took place then and exactly what's happened. Maybe Samuel has been addressing this and I have no idea on some of these things. Be careful with that. But we just know this, they brought it up and they were right to bring it up. It's the way to go. Sometimes we have to talk about hard things. Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Uh, The third statement, I think at the end of verse five, um, something starts happening differently, though. Now appoint for us a king to judge us. And the end of verse six, uh, give us a king to judge us. By the tone changes. From you're old to we have a problem here to, okay, I think now actually we're getting to the point of what's going on. I really don't think they wanted to have a discussion about age. I actually don't even think they wanted to have a discussion about the kids. They come and they have a new plan. Here's the plan. Give us a king. Hey, Samuel, give us a king. Samuel, give us a king. That's what's happening in the action of what's taking place. We've decided that you appoint us a king. Isn't that interesting? You know, you you be in in on this because we know strategically your role is really important, but we want for you to do what we we call for you to do. And uh, give us a king and appoint one now, like now. We think this is the best thing, like now. There's no sense that that these guys want to discuss it with Samuel. Agreed? You just don't get that at all from the text here. And I don't think they want to. Their action is a demand. I think it's actually a false respect demand. In other words, you be involved in it. But you also have to understand, this is an entire government hostile takeover. This is a major turning point in Israel's history. And, and right here, I, I'm not gonna take a whole lot of time, it'll f- unfold in the chapters ahead. But what's going on is we're moving from a structure of judges into a structure of a monarchy. And they're demanding it, that this take place. I think actually, they don't even know what they demand. And we're gonna find that out in just a second in the text. Their action was a demand. By the way, can you imagine the meetings leading up to this? Maybe some of you have been in meetings like this that lead up to these kinds of things. You know, can you imagine those elders' meetings? Closed door. There's already concern about that right there, where some aren't involved like Samuel. Imagine potentially and likely just the gossip that's taken place. Some of it needs to be conversation that's had. But we all know where these things go, Right? And the way this is approaching, the fruit is showing what's been happening in the heart. By the way, have they even literally prayed about this or sought God's word in this and even considered what God's word has to say about how to address situations like this, even in that time with what God's word they had? We don't see any of that coming up. I'll just make a comment. Addressing something truthful in a sinful way is sinful. 
Addressing something truthful in a sinful way is sinful. By the way, that even means in the home and at work and at church or small group or with friends. There can be a truth on the table that needs to be dealt with, but dealing with it in harsh anger or abusive actions or with really no interest in even wanting to talk. Matthew 18 talking about how do you resolve a person that you see potentially in sin. It talks, go talk with them. It doesn't even give this idea of go talk with them to crush them because the fact of the matter is you may have the facts wrong. The fact of the matter is out of love and concern, I'm concerned that maybe someone is in sin and so I wanna talk, let's talk about this because frankly, I might be the wrong understanding one in this. And then it's even grabbing some others to come along, not to jump on, not to pile on, not to crush, but even to help further sort it on out. The whole objective is restoration in all of that. And here, there's no discussion going on. I just have to say this, I am so grateful for the pastors and elders of this church because I have never had a meeting like that before here, ever. And may we never have that. Amen? Amen. Statement number four. I think this is the big one. Like all the nations. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. I'll cut to the chase. I actually don't think wanting a king was so much the problem. The problem here is wanting a king like the nations, like the rest of the world. That was the problem. In fact, in all of this, God had invited, God had instructed the Israelites to be an unlike people to the world. An unlike people to the world. Not a like people. An unlike people. And here it is in this whole thing. They want to be like the rest of the world. Well, there's so much practical application about that, friends. Because I still think God has called his people to be unlike the world. Not weird, unlike. In the world, but not of the world. Okay, And sometimes I think we yearn to look so much cool like the rest of the world. So that then the world will accept us if we look kind of cool like them. No, actually what what the world really needs is people that look unlike them and are attractive as unlike people. Because it's like, I don't know about you, but my life is not working out well. And I'm telling you, look at him, look at her. She, him, is unlike everything, and I like that. And yet here, they're wanting to be like the world. They're wanting to get a king and put their guy up against their guy and show it. And oh, by the way, God's involved in it somewhere. Do you see the problem? We want a king like the world. By the way, in this, I think as we'll see this unfold, I'm gonna kind of preempt a little reading with a couple comments. Can you imagine this for Samuel personally? I mean, just imagine the personal hurt. I think some five decades of what's been, for everything that we see, godly leadership. By the way, five decades of godly leadership, when you track it all the way back through the time of the judges, there hasn't been much godly leadership. And here's this dude standing up and leading unlike 
most all over the last few centuries of time, and then bam, there's this hostile takeover. Listen, we know that no human leader is perfect, and we know that no human leader is to be worshipped. But I think we have to look at this and say, man, really? Like, this is how? I understand there's problems with his kids, but like, this is how? Some of you know this, whether in your career and at work and leading people. Leading people's hard, isn't it? You imagine Samuel in this? I think there's aspects of it like, whoa, where did this come from? And I think even from the context, why is this the first time that you've come to talk to me about this? In fact, can we like even talk about it? Can we like talk about it and pray about it and search God's word together about it? Could, could we like do that for a little bit? I mean, after all the leading for all these years and it goes down this way, this fast, really? Sometimes I'll just tell you thoughts come up, certainly not me, but can someone remind me why I gave up up their opportunities to do this? (laughs) I have a few times. It's kind of, I know every leader is replaceable, but this is hurtfully disposable. I mean, we've been doing life together and, and like, really? And then I've actually heard this from other pastors as well. Apparently, you meant more to me than I meant to you. Listen, I realize that ministry is hard. And I realize that leadership is hard. And so many of you know that. Friends, we live in a culture in a day and age where leaders are just thrown out. We need to be careful about that. You need to be really careful about that because God has put people in at certain times. Address things, but lovingly and rightfully. Samuel personally, but also I just want to note Samuel, the bigger issue is theologically. Leaders lead, leadership is hard, and leadership includes taking hits. But the horizontal scene that's happening here in 1 Samuel 8 is much more than a leader feeling dissed. Samuel's seeing what's going on theologically here. And the wrong going on here wasn't so much the desire to have a king. It was the kind of king they desired and the timing of the king. I want blank now. By the way, as we move in this, find your own heart in this. I want blank now. Follow this through. Oh, and may I remind us? The Lord already had his sovereign timetable all planned out, and he still does. Hey, the Lord had King David on his radar. Oh, and the Lord had King Jesus on his radar. Just in case we forget, as they forgot. God's got it. Okay, and he has his timetable, um, but they're not wanting the Lord's timetable in this. It's like we want it now. And I'll just say the manner in which this goes down just screams trouble. The speed in which this goes down spe- uh, speaks trouble. And the lack of theology of just even where is God in this whole thing and how to approach leadership in this whole thing uh, is just, it's just, it speaks of trouble. In the Lord's time, I'm just gonna pause for a second here. This is one of the biggest things I've been learning over the last 10 years. 
Um, in my past career in business, it's like you make decisions and you move. There's profits, bottom line, and yes, people, I love people, and I want to come alongside people and love them unlike any other company that would love on people and come alongside people. But the truth of the matter is that when it really comes down, there is a bottom line in it all. And you have to move things, and sometimes you move it really quickly. Ministry, you're working with people, you're working with something that's really not yours, if you will, and, and, and sometimes I just find myself so wrestling with, I just want things with me, and sometimes I just want things with others, and I, sometimes I just want things with the whole thing to move faster. You ever that way with life? Oh, thank you. It gives me so much hope. Maybe sometimes you even are, man, sometimes things around here seem to move slow. I hear you. Walk before you run. Walk before you run. I'll just say this. Sometimes it's because uh, we have leadership misses with things. Sometimes it's because leaders are overwhelmed, just even in a church setting. I know it's one overwhelmed day a week. Joking. You guys only work a day a week. I'll keep going. (laughs) That one fell flat. But I'll say this. Sometimes it's just because God's timing and this is one of the things I've had to grow in and have been learning And Listen, sometimes I just want to move things. And it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. In the Lord's timing. This property that we're looking, Lord willing, to purchase, that's been on my radar for three years. I didn't speak anything until two years ago. And really didn't bring it up full throttle with the elders until a year ago. It's been killing me, man. Because I just see the decades of how important that is for our presence in the West Side community. And yet it's like, no, 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 no. Lord's timing, Lord's timing, Lord's timing, right? And that's hard sometimes to wait. But I'll just say as I'm getting older and I get more and more white hair, Be careful of the urgency syndrome. Be careful. And I'm even talking in ministry. Where in God's word do you see God in a rush? I mean, between chapter six and seven, it was 20 years. Between between chapter seven and eight, 20 years. I'm telling you, friends, God's not in a hurry. And sometimes we're way out in front of him. Well, that's the horizontal scene Let me move to the vertical scene, the vertical scene. Your vertical condition drives your horizontal actions. Why is what just happened? Why did it happen? Here we go. End of verse six. The whole situation goes down and Samuel prayed to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That's the kind of thing we just walk right by. Well, yeah, you're supposed to. Yeah, but... We don't see anything of anyone else doing that. By the way, what did that even look like? What is that even referencing? Is that referencing when the elders of Israel came up and talked with him? And while he's literally right there in the moment, making reference back to in that moment, he's like pushed off his bike. And then he's like, "Uh, Lord, oh dear God, please help me right now. Because I've got some thoughts and they're not good thoughts. And I want to know what to do. It could have been. It could have been that in this that he said, okay, uh, give me some time. 
Um, and, and he goes off and prays and comes back. I, I have no idea in the full movement of it, but I just know this. Samuel took his horizontal scene vertical. That's what doing life with the Lord does. More of that. More taking the horizontal vertical. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. By the way, I think that's why I was saying personally, I think there is some natural, and I just know from my life, I know from other leaders' lives, that it's like, man, when things hit, even though it's like it's not you, oh man, it hurts. It just does, being straight up. And yet the Lord says, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That's a big statement. From what? From being king over them. Verse eight, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel takes it to the Lord. And the Lord defines the elder's heart issue here. They have rejected me. Give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. Where's that coming from? It's actually coming from uh, the thing on the outside. The demand on the outside is coming from something happening right here. Something in this whole connection with their relationship with Yahweh. And what's really going on right here in that is they have rejected Yahweh. That's, by the way, not my interpretation. That's not my thought. That's not my assessments. That's Yahweh's assessment. And they have rejected me, and they have rejected me from being king over them. Uh, their give us a king demand comes out of a rejected the Lord heart. There's nothing we do that does not come from somewhere. And for the person who says, I just can't help myself, here's the hope. Yes, you can. Because everything we do comes from somewhere. Why did I just do that? Think about it. Why did you? What were you wanting? They were wanting Yahweh to not be king over them. They had an idea that some other king would work better for them. It's we want. It's we want things in life to be the way we see it and on our terms. We want that. But they're wanting a king as a rejecting the Lord of being their king. By the way, this is all about who God is. Loved ones, the Lord is not interested in being your BFF. The Lord is not interested in being your spiritual boyfriend. The Lord is not interested in being your spiritual backup alternative. The Lord is not interested in being your divine vending machine or your magic genie to provide your wish. Be very clear on this. The Lord is interested in being the Lord and King of your life, period. And isn't it interesting within us, it's like, I don't want anyone kinging over me. Isn't that interesting how that's just there? 
It's like, I don't even like the fact that you just said that. Because I'm my own king. I'm my own queen. How's that working? And that's why Samuel sees this as wicked. Kind of more almost a literal understanding of what he's seeing here is that in Samuel's eyes, he sees this as wicked. And in this, they rejected the Lord's plan and they rejected the Lord's timing. And every time we do that, we're in a bad place. By the way, do you see in the text in verse eight, that's always been their pattern. Oh no, that's always been our pattern as well. You see that? He's bringing, according to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. That's what they do. Hey, isn't this interesting? God knows history. And God knows the hearts of people. And he knows it's like fall and fail, fall and fail, fall. I show myself big and then they're amped up for a while and then fall and fail. And, then they, and, and the Lord's noting this and he's like, listen, this is just the tendency. This is just the tendency. Here's one of the great things to learn out of this. That is you and me, but the Lord doesn't give up. So if you are right now sitting here saying, yeah, but I've fallen and failed like 1,600 million times. Know this, his grace is bigger. And he has not given up. And he loves you. Otherwise, he'd just forget this whole plan right there. You want another king? I'll give you one. In fact, I'm gone and forever. But he doesn't do that. Friends, we are chasers of little replacement gods. Thinking they will fulfill. Let me say that again. We are chasers of little replacement gods thinking that they will fulfill. And so we get greedy to get what we want. We go for control to get what we want. We lust to get what we want. And we let the king of drugs and alcohol and abusiveness and our physical looks and our grades and our desire to be loved and we want all those as the king of our lives. And watch this. They will take you everywhere bad and enslave you. Why do I say that? Because look at what Samuel says. So Samuel told all the words, verse 10 of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, uh, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants and he will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants and he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work and he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall uh, be his slaves 
And in that day you will cry out because your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Dog. So is Pastor Doug going to get all political? Oh, I could. Because friends, here's the reality. Governments just take and take and take and take. Governments of the world just take. Listen, I'm going to say this. I am so thrilled to live in this country. And I am so thrilled with, with the blessing of that. But I'm just going to tell you, governments still take. Oh, but they take to give. They are the most inefficient givers on the planet. And it was the same now as it was then. And friends, if you are looking, thinking that, man, you know, if we just get this king in, if we just get a Christian king in, friends, you are hoping in the wrong thing. Be involved, be engaged in our world, but our hope is not here, friends. Frankly, sometimes we spend way too much time in politics versus time with the Lord. But that's not the governing plan of the Lord. You see, the governing plan of the Lord is not take, take, take. If you consider the governing planning of the Lord, it's give, give, give. Now, and I'm not talking to prosperity gospel give. I'm talking when you think he gives life, he gave himself on the cross. He gives the forgiveness of sins to all who would receive his forgiveness. He redeems people and those whom he has redeemed, he, he wants on serving him and loving him. Listen, you can't tell me that there are some people in this world, you're like, if I could work for that person, for her, for him, man, if I could work for them, that would be like the awesome, I would give up everything and I would even pay them to work for them. And here it is, the Lord God has invited us to serve him, the Lord crazy God of the universe. And you and I, in coming into relationship with Christ, you and I get to be involved with him. Woo! Come on with me. I'm telling you, we have so lost, and that's why Pastor Cody was so right with some of these classes and courses we're doing. We want for you to come to understand your God and his word deeper and more so that in it, it's like, are you kidding me? I don't want that little peon king thing. I want the king. And friends, do you see how he ends up saying in verse 17? that you will become his slaves, friends, this is what sin does. Sin takes for you, it looks so enticing, and it hangs itself out there, and it's like, come on, man, come on. And it takes, and it takes, and it takes until you're enslaved in it. And it doesn't give you squat.
Samuel's grieved because he sees his people on the edge of stepping into bad territory. And let's finish. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, no. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's what we want. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. <laughs> Took a vertical. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice. and Make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go. Everyone to his city. Loved ones, what we so often think we need to get us what we want will only end up taking and taking and taking until it enslaves you and rules you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about in your life right now, and I don't even know what that is, but you know. We all know, don't we? The light. It's so beautiful. That's what it is. That's what it is. Your vertical condition drives your horizontal actions. Track it back. What's happening out here? What's happening out here? Track it back because what's happening out here is a result of what's happening here. So what's happening here? What's happening here? On this Memorial Weekend, I would just ask you to take some time with the Lord and consider it. What's happening here? And if you see some enslavement out here, it's time to get radical. It's time to get with some people talk it out and get some help because it will only take you down come back come back and let's rebuild the Lord loves you he loves you and he has not given up thank the Lord so Lord I don't want to finish on a down note. God, I actually want for us from this to be challenged by the text of what these elders of Israel were wanting and where it was taking them. And I want for us to see it and the narrative lets us see that in their condition. And yet it allows us to also see what's happening in our own lives and our own hearts. And even as a church, God, that we might examine ourselves in it. And so Lord, I, I want for us to have some solemn thought given to that. But God, I don't want to leave down today. 
I don't want to leave down like defeated. I want us to leave cranked up because the fact of the matter is you never, ever, ever leave yours. You never discard of them. You never throw them away. But you do call them back. You do challenge them. And God, I pray that out of this, we would be reinvigorated, that we would be charged, that we would have a sense of, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, those things only take from me. They take, they take, they take. And and maybe even for some, it's, uh, Lord, I fully admit I'm enslaved in it right now. And so it's time for me to come back. And so God, I just pray that here right now, we would be invigorated and charged, encouraged and given hope. And that we would leave this place knowing that here we lay ourselves down here before you. And we leave invigorated to walk for you. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who does not know Christ as their Savior, who can't say that they have an ongoing relationship. Oh God, I pray that they would have a conversation with someone today. And that they would be grafted into the trunk. The vine. Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you give life, give hope, give strength, give eternity, give eternity with you. Thank you, dear God. Amen.